Lockholz, and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 123, for the week of May 11th, 2022. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, May 11th, The moon will be three-quarters full in our evening sky in the constellation Leo. By next Tuesday, May 17th, the moon will be 97% full, just past full moon in the morning sky and in the constellation Scorpius. Between now and then, it will be full, and this time we will have a total lunar eclipse. That will be on Sunday, on Sunday night, Monday morning, May 15, 16. This is a rare total lunar eclipse when the moon passes through the Earth's shadow. The middle of the eclipse is 0412 universal time, which translates to 12.12 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. That's early Monday morning, May 16th and 11.12 p.m. Central Daylight Time, which is on Sunday night, May 15th. Mountain Daylight Time, the center of the eclipse, will be at 12.10 p.m., and Pacific Daylight Time and Arizona Standard Time is at 9.12 p.m. At that moment, the moon will be inside the Earth's shadow, the inner darker shadow called the umbra, The umbra is about two and a half moon diameters in size, and the moon will be running through the southern portion of the umbra. When the moon is in the umbra, it is hidden from the sundra. It should appear red or pink in color, with the northern half appearing darker than the southern half. That's because it's closer to the center of the Earth's shadow. So, mid-eclipse is at 4.12 universal time. I've already told you the time in the Northern America time zone. If you don't live in those areas, do the math for your own time zone. Leading up to the eclipse, the moon enters the outer lighter shadow at 1.31 universal time, and you will not notice anything different. But nearly an hour later, at 2.38 universal time, the moon begins to enter the umbra, and you'll see a bite taken out of the moon. By 3.29 universal time, now this will be an hour later, the moon will be completely inside the umbra and will remain so for the next 85 minutes. Mid-eclipse again is at 4.12 universal time. 
By 4.54 universal time, the total phase is over as the moon begins peeking out of the embryo, giving us a bright edge. The moon will be completely out of the umbra by 5.56 universal time. As seen from the west coast of the United States, the moon may rise already entering the umbra. This is a very unusual sight. Total lunar eclipses look good with the unaided eye, binoculars, and a telescope. I've often thought that the older you all are, the more unusual it looks. Because you've had many years of seeing a bright moon in the sky, and suddenly you see one that appears red. Try taking some photographs with your cell phone and invite your neighbors and friends. And if you're going to stay up for half the night, Saturn rises at about 1 or 2 a.m. The next lunar eclipse, a total one, will be on November 7th of this year, and it will be centered over the Pacific Ocean. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, May 11th, through Tuesday, May 17th? It all depends upon where you are located. This week we have five zones. All you need to know is your latitude. Two areas will not see the International Space Station this week. North of 64 degrees north latitude and south of 36 degrees south. You will not see the ISS. Between 35 and 64 degrees north, it will be in both your morning sky for the whole week and in your evening sky for at least part of the week. And you're likely to see it several times per night. Cool. Between 15 and 35 degrees north, the ISS will be in your morning and evening sky for the whole week. And again, some nights you can see it two or three times. Finally, between 36 degrees south and 15 degrees north, the ISS will be in your evening sky for the first part of the week and in your morning sky for the last part of the week. To determine where you can see it in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com Enter your location, then click on ISS. With the bright moon in the sky this week, we'll wait until next week to see some comets. Now for the story about my third comet discovery. This year, I am relating each story as we approach the time of the year at which the comet was discovered. This week, I discuss a discovery which took place on Monday, May 12th, 1986, 36 years ago. The full story and images of this comet discovery and all my comet discovery stories can be found at my website, donmockholtz.com. This is how it goes. This wasn't the best of nights for astronomy. 
The sky was hazy, even at the 3,360-foot level of Loma Prieta, a mountain in central California in the coastal range of the Santa Cruz Mountains. This haze reflected light from the city of San Jose in the north and Morgan Hill and Gilroy in the east. Otherwise, the sky was clear and there was no wind. So the decision was easily made that I would, on this Monday morning, May 12th, hunt for new comets in the eastern sky as I had planned. After all, this wasn't the worst of nights for astronomy neither. I had already driven 40 minutes from my house and turning around and going back home was not something I wanted to do. I proceeded to set up my binoculars. They are homemade, the lenses, actually aerial telephoto lenses, are five inches with actually a 6.1 inch aperture on the front lens. Each lens is made up of five elements Together, the whole thing magnifies 29 times. The instrument weighs over 100 pounds. I can usually get this set up in about four or five minutes. I have related the story of these binoculars in Podcast 21, and you can get that from my website, including a handout with three pages of photographs of the binoculars. That's podcast number 21. On May 12, 1986, I began comet hunting session number 1471 at 1.50 a.m. by scanning or sweeping the sky high in the east. While looking through the binoculars, I would be sitting on my bench for this, I would slowly rotate the binoculars from right to left, looking among the pinpoint stars for small fuzzy clouds. Most of the time, these small clouds turn out to be clusters of stars, galaxies, or nebula. If not, it could be a comet. At the end of each sweep, I swing the binoculars back to the original point, lower them one to two degrees, and then repeat the process. The field of view of the binoculars is 2.4 degrees. By starting high in the eastern sky and slowly working my way downward, I should reach the horizon in about two and a half hours. Time goes by very quickly, and I'm quite busy working the morning eastern sky. The Milky Way looked fine during the early part of my sweeping, with several star clusters and nebula catching my attention. My eventual downward motion freed me of the Milky Way and into rather bare sky with few stars. Here I picked up a little more speed, and by 2.45 a.m., I swept up the great Andromeda Galaxy M31. On the morning of May 12, 1986, it did not occur to me that it was exactly 50 weeks since I had found Comet 1985E, but it was. Instead, my mind was rolling around some ideas for 
Comet Comets. Comet Comets was, at that time, my Comet Column, which had been published in various astronomy club newsletters each month for eight years. I would continue writing that column, Comet Comets, for another 12, 14 years or so until the year 2000. More than 20 years of that column. Halfway through my next sweep, something near the top of my field caught my attention. I stopped sweeping and examined it. It looked like a small fuzzy object, but perhaps it was a small group of stars. I placed it in the center of the field of view. It looked like a diffuse object, round, just within the limits of visibility. It was 3.52 a.m. The radio was playing the song against all odds. Checking its position, I determined it was two degrees south of the Andromeda galaxy. There were no galaxies or clusters listed on the maps. Now I had to check to see if it was moving. A comet should move, move against the background stars. I drew a map of the region, putting an X at the comet's location. I then resumed comet hunting. You say, Don, why would you continue comet hunting when you have a suspected comet already in the telescope? Well, there wasn't much else I could do but wait for the object to move. And while I'm waiting, I have a good clear sky, I might as well just keep comet hunting. At 417, I returned to the object's location and compared it with my map. It appeared to be moving, but I, I couldn't really be sure. I again resumed comet hunting. At 439, the sky was beginning to brighten as dawn was approaching. I found the object again and was pleased to see that it had moved. It was a comet. I awoke my wife sleeping in the back of the truck under the camper shell, and I showed her the comet. I then put the binoculars into the truck, and we drove the 22 miles home. From here, I phoned the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and reported the comet to Daniel Green. He had not heard of any other object in the area, and together, we felt this was a reasonable suspect for a comet. I then went to work. The workday went by quickly. I assembled fiber optic connectors for medical lasers, and this was a good workday. Upon arriving home, I phoned a few amateur astronomers and Lowell and Lick observatories, asking them to confirm the object. The next morning, found my friend Rich Page, my wife Laura, and I on Loma Prieta. Shortly after 3 a.m., I turned my binoculars to the area and searched for the comet. After a few minutes, I found it, one and a half degrees northwest of its previous day's position. Again, it appeared round but in Rich's 14-inch telescope, we could detect a short tail on it. When I arrived home and phoned the Smithsonian Observatory, word was just coming in from Charles Morris 
that he and Alan Hale of Southern California had confirmed the existence and location of the comet. It was then named Comet Mockholtz, also known as Comet 1986E. This comet took 173 hours of searching since my previous find nearly a year before. Now, my first comet took 1,700 hours, and my second one took 1,742 hours. So this was about one-tenth of the average time for my first two comets. I was surprised by this. When a comet is first discovered, the type of orbit assigned to it is a parabolic curve, meaning it will return only in a very long time. My first comet turned out to have a hyperbola orbit, meaning it will never return. My second comet appeared to have a parabola orbit, <laughs> but it disintegrated when it got too close to the sun and was never seen again. This third comet turned out to have an elliptical orbit, and thus the comet, now known as Periodic Comet Mockholtz 1, and the new designation is 96P slash Mockholtz, will return in 5.4 years. This proved to be quite exciting at the Smithsonian as periodic comets with this short and orbital period are rare. And of all the short period comets known, at that time, this one came closest to the sun 12 million miles than any other periodic comet. At its furthest point, it goes just beyond Jupiter's orbit. The path of this comet is tilted 60 degrees to the Earth's path around the Sun. It enters the inner solar system from the south and exits in the north. During 65% of the returns, the comet is not well-placed for discovery. But this time it was well-placed, and I feel both fortunate and humbled to have found it. For several weeks following discovery, the comet dimmed as it was rapidly moving away from the sun. At times, it seemed to change appearance in a matter of a few minutes. I was able to observe it for a month, and then it got too faint for me to see. Astronomy writer Bob Berman stated a few years ago that this was the most unusual comet ever found. You can hear that clip on my website, Nearly every year, someone publishes a paper on this comet. It is responsible directly or indirectly for eight meteor showers, three of them being major ones. This comet is part of what has become known as the Mockholtz Complex. It has a family of two comet groups, an asteroid and the meteor showers. It may or may not be related to the comet of 1491. If I were to have found only one comet in my life, this would be the one that I would want to find. It will return in just under a year from now, in January 2023. And now I want to add something to this story, and I've never talked about it before. It will take a few minutes, but it is related to the discovery of this comet. If circumstances had occurred differently 
I would not have found it. It is about my late wife, Laura. We fell in love and got married in 1979. She passed away from a brain aneurysm in September 2013, and we were married for 33 years. When I first met her, she told me two things right off the bat. She did not expect to live very long because she had been a type 1 diabetic since her first week of high school, and she has to give herself an insulin shot once or twice per day. She was led to believe that type 1 diabetics do not live long. She also said we would not have children because diabetics have trouble carrying a child. Okay, I accepted both counts. By the mid-1980s, a biological clock was ticking or whatever, and she suggested we look into adoption. We did, and after considerable research, we decided to adopt a child from South Korea. We were put on a waiting list, and we would be told when a child was available. Early in 1986, Hallie's Comet was visible, and my wife and I co-led a group to New Zealand for two weeks, arriving home in San Jose, California in mid-April. As we're approaching the discovery date of May 12th, a few other things happened. On Saturday night, May 10th, we held, as part of the San Jose Astronomical Association, a public star party at Branham Park, a few blocks from our house. This was to show Halley's Comet. I had organized these star parties, a total of six of them, and this one drew about 500 residents to see the comet. The event ended at 10 p.m., and as I was driving out of the park and onto a main street, Laura suggested we go to a donut shop and get some donuts. I had to think quick as to whether to turn left or right, like where exactly is the donut store and how do I get there? So as I entered the main road, and there were no cars around, I steered left, then right, then left, as I was deciding which direction I needed to go. This scared her, my crazy driving. <laughs> and she said, forget it, let's just go home, and we did. But she was still mad about the incident and about not getting donuts. The next day, Sunday, May 11th, was Mother's Day. Now, my intention was to go to bed as soon as I got home, get up at about 1.30 to go to Loma Prieta for comet hunting, come home, sleep for a while, then go to church. My wife, Laura, had different plans. She said, we were going to do something different tomorrow. Let's skip church and go to Sacramento and visit the Sacramento Train Museum something that she had always wanted to do. So we did. I have always thought that she didn't want to be in church on Mother's Day for obvious reasons. Okay, I get it. So we went to the train museum. That meant that I did not go out comet hunting on May 11th, but was delayed a day until Monday, May 12th, and that's when I discovered the comet. A study done in 1990 on that comet 
indicated that it had an outburst a day before I discovered it. I have long believed that if I had been out there on May 11th, I would have missed the comet because it had not yet outburst. Instead, this incident moved my comet hunting session to May 12th and destiny with a comet. Two days later, we received word that a baby boy in South Korea needed a home, and we were asked if we were interested. We accepted, and he arrived a month later. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? See the lunar eclipse this Sunday night, and those four planets are still in the morning sky. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 123 for May 11th, 2022. I'm Don Mockles. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockles.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. You can contact me at donTheAstronomer at gmail.com. Once again, donTheAstronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. With the moon out of the evening sky, we'll be looking at a few galaxies and we'll be preparing for what might be a fantastic meteor shower at the end of May. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.